0: the House of Learning podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburro and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland.
1: Today we're talking about faith and suicide. everyone welcome to the podcast uh, it's richard here and i've got a couple of guests so we have with us angela hi guys and vong or Byung. vong 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 yep. hey guys um and so we uh kind of well, this this really started with angela she approached me because she works in an area of mental health and uh it's just like a passion for training, resourcing people, equipping people, helping people. And um it, we'd like to do something, um, but we're like, wait, well, the thing we can do immediately is to do a podcast, which is really cool. And um yeah, so this is this is like a a oh, a trailer maybe underselling it. <laughs> this is like the <laughs> I taster. Think this is a the good taster. Word. Yeah. Um, for more stuff in the future as well. And so like Give us a little, uh, why is this a passion, you know, that has really gripped you, Angela?
2: Yeah, so my story around mental health started when I was very, very young. I started with self-harm behaviors and had depression, anxiety as a very young child. And back then I didn't have the wording for it. And then my family was impacted by suicide. We lost a friend and a family member my freshman year of high school. And the way it was talked about it then made it seem as an acceptable option for me. And so now that I've made it through to the other side, I want to help people also make it through to the other side. And part of doing that is sharing my story Mm. and being open with that conversation.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting, like experiencing something like often people who go through cancer get involved. Uh, You know, it's just interesting the way traumas can affect us and crises can affect us. Um, What is it about getting through it? Is it, I mean, did you experience help where you're like, oh, I could give this away to others? Was it, is it more like an empathy with the pain and seeing people alone in it? Or it could be like a mixture of lots of things. But Mm -hmm. yeah, what are the aspects that kind of lit a fire where you're like, I can do something about this?
2: Yeah, I think it was a combo of all of that. Um, My parents did get me into counseling as a young child, Mm -hmm. but I still didn't have the wording for it, and I wasn't ready for help yet. And that didn't come until after I lost another friend to suicide and found the Oregon Chapter of American Foundation for Suicide Prevention at one of our events. And for me, the visual at that walk seeing thousands of other people who were experiencing the same things I was, I didn't know anyone else was dealing with it. And so a big part of that was seeing that I wasn't alone. And then I felt like I was able to reach out and get help because I saw other people were doing the same thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, amazing. And then, so Vong, uh, you've got a passion here as well. So where does that come from for you?
3: Yeah, for me... um... I guess my story is, uh, you know, I grew up in a Buddhist household, um, became an atheist for a little bit, and then hit my all-time lowest low when I was around uh, 25, and what I found was that um, this world is just so much bigger than myself, Mm. (laughs) and that (laughs) I needed to not only strengthen my faith um, and lean into what the Lord has for my life. But also um, I learned that there's such an importance when it comes to talking about mental health. Um, If I had tools and knew that it was okay to talk about like my own mental health, um, maybe things would have turned out to be a lot better. Yeah.
1: And so you so you kind of encountered that um, maybe stigma or just kind of like that's another world somewhere else, which is you're a young guy. You know, so it's kind of, um, I don't know, a little bit surprising in a way that like we're we're still there. Um, You know, you can see the tide turning a little bit, like millennials tend to be a little bit more open to talking about mental health, a little bit more aware. But like your story is still like, yeah, that was, it just shows how much work there is to do, Um, which is, yeah, sad, but a little bit surprising. And and it's interesting, like, the words you both use. Like, Angie, you talk about, like, um, self-harm and, like, things. And you talked about, like, s- yeah, uh, maybe it's, like, fear and anxiety, like, my place in the world. And mm-hmm. um, it's part of this big set of things. And it's kind of interesting. Like, they've all um, got a little bit of stigma attached. You know, like, I'm struggling with anxiety. Or I get panic attacks about or you know uh but through to which i want to talk about a little bit through to talking about suicide and then that that's the the dirtiest of the dirty words kind of thing right there's Mm -hmm. like this there's this stigma um but and and this isn't interesting like of all people christians should have this, like, holistic vision for health. Like, the Bible talks about caring for, like, body, mind, soul, heart, relationships, like, Mm -hmm. you know. And the amount of times in the Bible God talks to people and interacts with people around, you know, their emotions, their feeling, the things they're grappling with, their fears, their anxieties. Um, Like, you would think we would have a box for this. But actually, for Christians, we can... uh, No, maybe encounter even more stigma than other people, right? And especially around suicide. So this is, I guess, before we give an answer, (laughs) I'm like, let's not just jump to the straight to the answer. But like, what's your guys' experience been like as Jesus followers, like around other Jesus followers, when it comes to mental health? Um, And and it could be like good things you've seen, but also like where where you see some of the barriers um, that are like tripping us up and getting in the way.
2: Yeah, so I think it's super important to remember everyone has mental health, but not everyone struggles with their mental health Mm -hmm. for the negative aspects of mental health. And I know at least for myself in the church, sharing the positive sides of mental health, like being happy and excited when someone gets pregnant, has a baby, gets married, Mm -hmm. stuff like that is really easy to talk about. And then grief, is an easier one to talk about when we lose someone depending on how we lose them Yeah. with the stigma attached to suicide. A lot of people don't want to share how their person died. And so the grief is often hidden away mm-hmm. and not talked about the same as it would if someone died from cancer or a heart attack. Similarly, people will ask about the method for suicide instead of just leaving it at suicide. But Mm -hmm. when someone dies from cancer, they don't ask what specifically about the cancer killed them. Mm -hmm. And so just opening up those conversations and recognizing you don't have to share or know the entire story to be able to support someone else Mm -hmm. or to talk about your feelings because Mm. what happened behind it, isn't what you're feeling, it's what happened. And everyone reacts to things differently. And I think just really remembering that it's okay to talk about what's in your head. Mm-hmm. Some days, some minutes, it can go from really happy, high, super excited about something to, I don't know how I'm gonna make it to tomorrow. Yeah, And so just remembering that it's okay to share that stuff. And in my group of friends within the church and stuff, it's been fairly easy to talk about it because I've been very open with my own story. And I found that the more that I share, the more people kind of radiate to me because they see me as a safe person to talk to. So it's super important to remember that if you want someone to be able to come to you at their worst, you have to have those conversations beforehand that, hey, I'm a safe person. If you're struggling, it's okay to reach out. And that's something that I feel like is almost lacking in the church culture that we just want to present the best of us.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's like we know how to celebrate, but we have a really hard time. I mean, like when uh, COVID was going on, I remember we had like a prayer meeting. It was like an all day prayer time. And I said, hey, all we're going to do this morning is like have a time of lament.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And for an hour. A room full of people sat there in silence. I was like, Oh, they don't know how to do this.
3: Mm-hmm. like no mm-hmm. one's
1: taught them how to do this, despite the fact about a third of the psalms are lament psalms. Mm-hmm. It's like they it's it's just a skill we and and it is a skill mm-hmm. you yeah, know we we develop and we get better at um And you said a couple of really important things, one was um just the willingness to enter in. So, cause I want to ask you the specific question. Um, so you know, as people come and talk to you or you talk to other people, you know, do you feel like you've got all the answers?
2: Definitely not. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> think anyone on this planet has anywhere near yeah. even half the answers. Yeah. Um, but just the willingness to sit in those dark places with a person can make all the difference in the world yeah. with whether or not someone can find yeah. their way out of that darkness. Yeah.
1: And that's a big difference isn't it? It's like with positive emotions and positive experiences we kind of know that our job is not to analyze them It's like um oh you got that promotion you were praying about or you know like awesome like wh- mm-hmm. I just I know a reaction to that expressing awesomeness like joins together with you in celebration um but we've got this cultural mandate that hard things need taking away yeah they need I th- solving
2: I think it's important that people know that they don't have to have the answers to be able to support someone. It can be as simple as you don't feel good. Let's just sit on a couch and hang out. We don't have to talk. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times with people who are struggling, they don't want to talk, but just knowing that someone is physically there with them can help them move forward in whatever they're going through and being able to, to just be that person and sit with them in the dark places. And a lot of times we use the analogy, like I'll hold the ladder for you or I'll hold a flashlight until you can find yours. Um, Stuff like that. Like it doesn't have to be you're the counselor because you're not a counselor. Most of the time you are you and Usually when we're talking about people struggling with their mental health when you notice it their friends their family members their coworkers yeah it's not typically a boss and someone under them it's typically someone yeah. that you're equal with and so just being able to sit with and be with that person can sometimes be the the difference that they needed
1: yeah and it's a similar dynamic to what happens uh, in the sort of excitement and celebration realm. is like, I'm really excited about something, but to really let it out, I need Wong to kind of cheer. And then, like, his cheering is like, oh, now I feel like the right thing is happening. But that can happen with hard stuff. Sometimes you're like, oh, I just... I don't have enough, like, uh, strength to even contemplate this or, um, you know, I, I just feel defeated right now or something like that or feel isolated or... Yeah, all sorts of things, and then you can kind of borrow a bit of someone else, you know, alongside you. So it's like we're we're familiar with the dynamic; we just mm-hmm. don't often think about it. Which is, yeah, it's just really interesting. Well, we talked now. Wrong, well, you've been too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, so kind of the same question of like, you know, why why do Christians? I, I it's just one of those things. Like you, you know, you look at the world, you think Christians would be championing, would be really good at this stuff. Mm-hmm but that's not actually the case. Like, what do you see going on? What have you encountered?
3: Yeah, I think similar to what Angela was saying, like, I think what what is also a skill is trying to be a safe person. And that's something that also needs to be learned because I think growing up, we're not really taught how to be a safe person, right? Mm. We're not really taught that um, instead of fixing, you might just want to just sit there with them and lend an ear. Right? Um, maybe just hold their hand and that's all that they need. Um, instead of just trying to tell them to like pray more or like let's just enter prayer and like fix this and the Lord's going to solve everything. Right? It, it is okay to feel your feelings. It's okay to feel the anxiety, the fear. Um, doesn't mean that your faith is any less or any more. Um, so I think that's one of like the barriers is just like mm. being.
1: Safe enough to feel what we're feeling. Yeah, definitely. That's so important. Um, it, it's like we have a a negative encounter with uh, with something, and then uh, we can want to escape it. Yep. Like, but we don't do that with our positive emotions. I mean, there's an interesting kind of thing here. Like, generationally, I'd say like the Boomer generation and before were kind of taught, and not just taught culturally, but actually taught from the pulpit sometimes, that emotions were like a fickle, dangerous thing. So whenever you're feeling something rather than like thinking analytically, you kind of need to switch that part of yourself off and move to the safe zone, which is like abstract thought, Um, which is not in the Bible. You ain't going to find it in there. (laughs) That's just a product (laughs) of the enlightenment speaking into our culture still. Um, And yeah, so so for some people, even... Like really interacting with their uh, like emotional self is, is just feels like a weird, dangerous thing to do, or something like that. But then, especially when it comes to uh, the feelings we don't enjoy sitting in, mm-hmm. if we can we can have this kind of a like I want to escape that. Like, uh, like, like something for me, I I struggle sometimes a bit with climate anxiety, which is I think just years of being like working in the sciences, and so. Yeah. It's like you read something on the news, a little bit triggering. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, something like that. uh, You know, you can have a reflex, like a cultural reflex of like, oh, I'll go like distract myself with something. But it's actually, it's like your soul trying to tell you like, hey, you feel us, you interact a certain way with that. You know, it's trying to call you to pay attention to something. And um yeah, we, we've, we've talked on this podcast before. We've got, like, um, Heather, who's a therapist who's been on a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And I love she always talks about, like, um, yeah, if you acknowledge an emotion, um, it's not going to kill you. Like, it's not going to be as bad as you think. And actually, like, sitting with those things, those thoughts, those feelings is part of how you integrate. And sometimes you integrate them in a way that's like, oh, I've, I've got a scar from that but it's not just going to remain like an open, festering wound. Yeah. You know, and so it's, yeah, we we, we do bizarre things with emotions like sadness and, and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, I, it's very, very weird, but maybe it's, may, you know, it's weird when we think about it, but in the moment it's also very natural.
2: Well, and it's important to remember too, for some of us, I know for myself, as I was going through my own mental health journey, I didn't always have the names for emotions. And Mm -hmm. so to take the time to sit, recognize what emotion you're feeling, naming it, even if you can't address it right then, you have to, like if you're at work and have to be on point with something, naming it so you can go back to it later Mm -hmm. can do almost as much good as if you were talking about it now. You don't have to focus on it. You don't have to fix anything. Mm Just recognizing that it's there, that your body and your heart and your mind is telling you something, recognizing it, acknowledging it, helps you to
1: move forward. Yeah, definitely. That's something we always do with our kids is like try and give them this like that extra option of like, how are you feeling? Do you know how like if you don't know how you're feeling, but you just feel weird or something like just say that, you know, just room to acknowledge ambiguity because actually naming our emotions, is it takes a lot of skill as well, right? It's really hard, I mean, to, to pick apart and the kind of label and see how things are interacting inside us. We're, we're complicated little puppies, it's, uh, it's hard for us.
3: Yeah, and also uh, I think one of the, going to like naming it, I think what Brene Brown says is if you can name it, you can tame it. Mm. So it's one of like the very first steps when it comes to processing those difficult emotions is like, is first naming it. And then learning how to process those emotions yeah. so that we can be yeah. un- uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely.
1: I wanted to add a caveat as well because in my head I'm thinking about like my experience, my kid, yeah, things like this. There are times when there can be you know like negative thoughts or negative emotions, things like that, and actually it's an overwhelming experience. Mm-hmm. And so, as as much as like always uh, always going to escapism is not good. Um, it, it's okay sometimes that you know if if you know you're feeling kind of overwhelmed or oppressed by feeling like you don't have to write there and then be like oh now Richard said in the podcast I've just got to like write here right now sit in this like that's also not a thing that <laughs> you have to do that um, maybe we'll talk more when we talk about like how and resources and things like that we can talk about that and um, the the extra twist on the like you know our faith and this kind of stigma around around mental health to talk especially about suicide. Because, Angela, you talked about, like, people not knowing how to talk, not knowing how to enter in or create space for someone. Yeah. Uh, Especially space for talking and having conversation. Um, It's just an interesting, you know... I I guess it's a set of questions. I'm not sure which one, but if I just throw a few out, I think you'll just get into it. It's it's like, (laughs) is suicide different? Is it more tragic? Is it harder, you know, than could be like depression or self-harm or uh, having panic attacks or, you know, other other issues around mental health? Because it does seem it occupies this special place of like uh, a kind of unmentionable, like, I can't, you know... um, I, I, maybe we don't want to open ourselves up to the conversation in mm-hmm. some way, but also if we're talking to someone and there's been like a suicide in their life or suicidal ideation in their own life or something like that of like, man, I hold on, I, I don't want to open that box for them because that's probably too hard and too painful. You know, it's it just it's in that kind of category, right? Yes. Um. So I, I'm not even sure what the question is. <laughs> what, what do you think?
2: So and I it'll th- be the same
1: to you in a minute, so you can yeah, I your think, thoughts from it. Uh, <laughs>
2: A big part of it is recognizing the shame that we are putting on Mm. other people. They might not be feeling it, but they can recognize you're uncomfortable with it. So they're not going to want to talk about it. But someone who's lost someone to suicide, they still miss that person. They wish that person was still here. They wish there was something that they could have done. Same thing as if someone died by cancer or a heart attack. Mm. It's okay to talk about that person a lot of times that helps to know that other people are still thinking about them and with suicide especially and in my own family when we lost a person and I'm going back to like 1999 here when we lost our family member and a friend I heard the method and I heard the perceived why
1: Mm.
2: and back then I thought that was all that went into it and now I know That there's never just one reason. Suicide is kind of a side effect from depression, anxiety, whatever mental health name you want to attach to it. Sometimes there is no name to attach to it, but it is a side effect or byproduct of what that person was going through. Mm -hmm. So it's not completely separate from mental health. It is physical health a lot of time when you're struggling when you're depressed you will have physical pains in your body and when a person is physically hurting no one questions them going to a doctor but we still question when people need to go see a psychologist psychiatrist when someone breaks a leg no one questions putting a cast on it, using crutches. (laughs) So when a person is struggling with their mental health, and this was a big one for me, I didn't want to be on medication because of the stigma that was attached Mm. to being on medication. But then someone explained to me, use it as a crutch. If you break your leg, you use crutches. If your mental health is fractured, use the medication as a crutch while you do counseling, therapy, whatnot. And if you still need that crutch forever, like my mother-in-law had polio. She walks Mm -hmm. with crutches forever. She needs them. And so if a person like myself needs to be on medication, probably for the rest of my life, that's fine. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's taking care of my physical health by taking care of my mental health. And that's kind of the big one that I've seen, especially in the church, Mm. is seeking out that extra help instead of hey, you need to pray more, maybe you should go to church, read the Bible, whatever. We were provided with these resources. Mental health research has come a very long way in the last decade. And now we have that as a tool. And for myself, everything that I have in life is a gift. And to be able to use that, to help myself, but also to help others. And so by recognizing, hey, medicine is my crutch, that's fine. Other people might then be able to recognize, hey, it's okay if I go on this medicine that my doctor has been trying Mm -hmm. to get me on. It's not something I need to be ashamed of. It's something that could help me.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's, I mean, a crutch is a great analogy, but, but part of that stigma sometimes is like, oh, you need medication around your mental health that's because you failed in some way Mm -hmm. at like praying, holding it together, you know, and this kind of American ideal of like the self-sustaining person who by themselves completely individualistically can handle Mm -hmm. everything, you know. like, who, Like, in what world do we come up with that as a good thing? Like, oh, goodness, the pressure we put on ourselves, like, so bad.
2: Yeah, no one questions medication for diabetics. No, no one questions medication for people with cancer. So why would we question someone going yeah. on medication to help their mental yes, health? It.
1: Because sometimes mental health is not failure. Sometimes it's like being, being deeply affected by hard things. Sometimes it's just physiologically your brain chemistry is broken. So it needs some help. You know, that that which is like dialysis, like, oh my kidneys failed. Like, well, just pray harder. Like, <laughs> well, you can. Like, that's a good thing to do. Like, that's like God may do a miracle through to God may like walk you through the trial of, you know, of, of a medical emergency. Like, but um, yeah. It, it's this kind of weird. Like, we 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 approach almost every other realm of life pretty holistically. Like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got a big life decision. You know, well, I'll I'll pray, I'll pray about it. I might, like, talk to my pastor and ask him to pray with me. But I'll, like, I'll talk to people and try and, like, seek wisdom and figure it out. I'll try and be prudent. I'll do some research. I'll, you know, like, we do all the stuff. We try to put it all together. Um, We kind of know when we see someone approaching life as a kind of, Almost like entirely passive other than exercising one muscle, and it could be prayer or it could be like escapism, or just go with the f- like go with the path of the least resistance, or you know those strategies we know like they're not right, so it's like we know this stuff, but we just have this hard time applying it to mental health what, is, what a, this is like the question from ten minutes ago for, for Gong <laughs> as well so um 'Cause I, I guess I'll I'll put an extra twist on it for you to interact with, okay? Awesome. A little little topspin. <laughs> um because I've actually heard Christians say this. They've been taught it. Is that uh suicide is is almost like an unforgivable sin. Cause it's like murder against yourself. And so it's it's in this category where like that adds to the stigma. Like we can't talk about it because that person did the most horrific thing. The most horrific sin that can be committed, almost, you know, mm-hmm. and so sometimes people have been taught that about suicide, and it's so it so fits in this category that makes it really hard for them. Um, so yeah, like have you, have you encountered the, like anything like that where people have almost got like a theology that makes suicide this kind of well, yeah, we'll talk about mental health maybe, but still, like suicide's this extra step too far.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely something that we need to unlearn, um, for sure, especially as Christians, because it's not very biblical. Um, and we need to learn that, yeah, it is okay to talk about suicide, like how we talk about anxiety, like how we talk about depression and all of that. And what I'm seeing with this generation, with millennials and Gen Zs, is that um, we're doing a pretty good job, um, moving in the right direction of being open, um, to the conversation about our mental health, whether that's like, oh, op- like, uh, being open about saying that we go see a therapist, right? Like I just had a conversation with my therapist, right? That's becoming like relatively normalized now, mm-hmm. which is actually really cool. Um, and so I think we'll, we're getting into that direction where, we're getting open about some of the more
1: i don't want to say easier topics like anxiety, depression and all that but, but in then, some ways maybe like less stigmatized or or you, we hear about them more so they're a little bit more normalized so, exactly yeah i get what you mean
3: yeah. yeah so i think eventually and hopefully soon and we are moving at the, into that direction that suicide will be part of that conversation as well yeah
1: I've, I've got like a, an image, I, it, it really stuck with me, I love. And I think it's like an old 70s film about Martin Luther. And at the and they're trying to paint the character of him as a kind of like rebel who wants to push back on the church's norms. And so he's a, like a parish priest in Germany and someone has died from suicide. Um, but the rules of the church are they can't be buried in the churchyard. And so he's just like, he's got a shovel and he's like whacking people out of the way and digging the grave himself. And like, no, I will not allow someone just because Satan has torn their life apart to like for us to then blame them. You know, and it's it's this beautiful, like visceral image of like fighting for like, hey, what happens in suicide? Like, and it's this, I don't know, it like theologically it goes all the way back to Genesis again. Like we can read mm. Genesis on in the Bible, and be like, "Oh, God's the good guy, and humans are the bad guy." Like, no, I mean, we did bad stuff. We do bad mm-hmm. stuff, but we're 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 the victims in this story.
3: Yeah. Like when
1: suicide happens, we put the blame on like on brokenness and the enemy and and the kingdom of darkness. Like we we're all participants in so much sin. But it just, it's so weird to me, just theologically, that when it comes to suicide, we'd be like, oh no, that's like fully on the person, Mm -hmm. you know? It's just like a bizarre, Yeah,
3: we don't do that anywhere else. And I I think, I don't want to say it's like a good opportunity, but it's like an opportunity for us to look at ourselves as the church, right? Like, are we actually being safe people? Um, are we actually loving our neighbor? Are we there for them? Are we loving on our brothers and sisters as well? Um, are we uh, talking about mental health, right? Um, so it's, a, it's another opportunity for us to reflect as a church um, on how to grow
1: as a church with these existing issues. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, we, I, I guess the twist on that as well is we have the theological framework to be a safer space for people, like we've we've got a worldview where someone could be struggling with anything, they could be um, overwhelmed and be like, "There's no hope. I have no power to do anything about this," you know, or um, like really wrestling with like being shamed and isolated and things like that, and like uh, like of all people, of all places. We have resources to meet some of the most profound difficulties in trying to navigate mental health when it gets like at its worst. Um, but and actually, that sentence that just came out of my my mouth now makes me think about like an an extra twist on this. And you've both said it, but it's really important because I want I want you to talk a bit about it and highlight it. Is um you know if we only engage when it gets like it's hitting the fan time. You know, it's got to its worst. Um like w- how does that play out? Like how do you see that affecting people? How do you see that affecting communities, like churches? Um if we have a kind of um when it's a crisis we'll talk about it. But you know, not not engaging the rest of the time because you both suggested we should do it, you know, like there's entry level stuff we can be doing. But I'm interested in the, like, what happens if we don't? If we don't take that opportunity? And and I guess the the flip side, the good side is, like, what happens if we do?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think if you don't, then those people don't know that they have someone that they can turn to. And so when you're, at least for me, when I was struggling with my mental health, reaching out and asking for help was the absolute hardest thing I could mm. possibly think of to do mm. yeah. but when someone asked me and not even really ask just saying hey you're not acting like yourself what's going on can we talk about it
1: mm-hmm. um so what helped you is actually people initiated who knew you observed, yeah. and then mm. just asked like non-threatening Yes. open questions.
2: And it is. So one of the things that we hear a lot is if I ask about suicide, it's going to make them do it. But yeah, I yes. can 1000% guarantee if you're asking about suicide, they've thought about it. And so by asking directly, it can sometimes make them recognize that, Hey, that is what I'm thinking about. And then it can lead into a conversation and it's not a fix it, but it's a keep a person safe for right now Mm -hmm. while you can find other resources, help them find other resources, help them schedule to get a a doctor's visit. Mental health care right now is hard. There are long, long, long waiting lists. And so it's important to remember that you're the in between. And if someone that you care about, someone that you love is struggling, you don't want them to have to wait by themselves for 9, 10, 11 months sometimes to get mental health treatment. What can you do in the meantime? And a lot of times that's sitting with a person, talking to them, saying, hey, I recognize this about you. Do you want to talk about it? And if they don't, that's fine. You can still sit with them. Yeah. You don't have to fix things. And I think in our culture and like the family and friends and stuff that I grew up with, we always want to fix. Yeah. (laughs) And when we can't fix things like mental health, it comes across as a, we failed rather than a, we tried. Yeah. And one thing with mental health and especially with suicide You can do everything exactly right and have it not be enough. Mm -hmm. And that is not a failure on your part. It just is what it is. And I think that for myself was the hardest thing to recognize and to accept Mm -hmm. was I was a freshman in high school. Now I know what I saw were signs But when I was a freshman in high school, I didn't know they were signs that that person was struggling. I knew there was something not right, but I didn't know what it was. But I knew enough to sit with that person and talk with them. But I didn't know where to get them that next step of help. Yeah. And uh, especially for young people today to know that there are safe adults to go and talk to about this because friends talk to each other. Yeah. Um, sometimes kids are typically the first one. Like they'll talk to someone else their age before they come to an adult with something. Yeah. And so like, if you have a child whose friend is struggling, you want your child to know you're a safe person to come to that could then help their friend. Mm -hmm. And whether that is programming the crisis line numbers into, kids' phone numbers. It should be programmed in everyone's phone number, honestly, or everyone's phone. Um, And in July, it will change to 988. Um, So it will be a lot easier to remember than the 1-800-273-8255. Because honestly, when you're in crisis, you're not going to remember that. That's
1: too many numbers. Um,
2: (laughs) But starting in July, it's going to be 988. That's cool. And uh, there are those resources. And so even if you personally don't have them, don't know where to start, text the crisis line, call the crisis line with that person who's struggling. Yeah, They yeah. can tell you where to go or they can help walk you through. But being that person to kind of be the, hey, I'm going to walk with you so you don't have to go by yourself.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's almost like you, the crutch analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like we may not be able to get to the hospital and like figure out what crutch you need. But like I can be a stick like for a while, like a, 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 at least something to lean on, you know. But, but it's interesting, like, you you talk about that, like, well, I, m- I might not know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, there's a complicated array of things here. Like, part of it is, like, we have this fear of failure in our culture. Like, unless I know I can succeed, I won't try. Um, humans, never mind mental health, humans <laughs> are not like that. Like, that's what stops people entering into all manner of things that actually can be rich. But hard, um, but there's there's like an internal um, that that same kind of pressure uh, can can stop us even, um, and, and this is partly what shame does, like uh, in a in a soul, like in a, in a heart and a mind of a person, is um, it, it kind of jams up the gears, you know? It's like um, my my shame is making me feel like I you know I failed I'm guilty. There's something wrong with me, and it kind of it all comes together and kind of incapacitates you internally from t- even taking a step forward by yourself in your own head. Mm-hmm. And so I I love actually and and this is something um, that's really easy to do, even just by listening, by just being mm-hmm. willing to lovingly listen to someone. It's like you you can just. Let the shame out, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and let someone know, like, it's okay, you know. Um, oh, yeah, I'm having a really hard time. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like whatever. And just um, to to listen and not kind of tell that person, well, there must be something wrong with you, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, and, and you can have a profound effect on someone just by listening. Like, that's such a beautiful, amazing thing. Um I I I'm interested as well that you began with the hardest thing for you was to ask. Mm-hmm. Which is really because at that point you guys might not have heard it, but Vong was nodding his head <laughs> vociferously. <laughs> Except whatever the body language of vociferous is. What like tell us a bit about that from your perspective because that's a really I can only imagine there's going to be people listening who are like, I I don't know if I can ask. And so yeah, what's your experience been with like where that comes, like what what's going on that makes it hard to ask? And then what, for Angela, it was someone initiating, you know, what helped you? Yeah, <clears throat> what helped me was, I mean, yeah, it's
3: really hard to <laughs> ask for help. And I think that's one of the things that we get wrong is like, we always say like, oh, if there's any issues, just reach out. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's actually really hard for them to reach out. And even in my own, um, uh, my own past, like I didn't really reach out, uh, until it was too late. Mm. Um, because one, I don't think I really had like a safe person that I knew that would listen without trying to fix. Mm. And all I needed was somebody who just would to just listen and like validate my feelings. Uh, so yeah, I think the listening aspect is just so important. Um, providing that safe space,
1: um, as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it feels like because um, you just talked about kids a second ago, Angela, and uh, just thinking, this can be different for different demographics. Mm-hmm. Not not just like gender and age, but even like socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, also uh, like ethnic cultural differences, like things like that. Um because you guys are in the midst of this, like, how does that play out? Like, where are some of the... I mean, because the classic trope will be like, oh, women talk about their feelings all the time. Mm. Well, that didn't help you. It was hard, right? So we can't can't lean on that stereotype. (laughs) But then the other classic stereotype is like, yeah, men, we just bottle it up and somehow, like, manage to get through. No, that actually, that wasn't true as well, you know? So what are some of the, like unhelpful, oh, th- that group of people don't need to worry about it maybe or, or something like that. Just like our world can open up a bit to see like all the people we could care for.
2: Yeah, so one thing with that is suicide affects everyone. Suicide doesn't care what color your skin is, what language you speak, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, what you do for a job, how old you are. None of that matters and everyone is affected. The most impacted age group actually is older white males. And that is the exact demographic that was raised not to talk about their emotions, Mm -hmm. their thoughts, their feelings. They are the ones who are supposed to be the fixers. They're the ones who are supposed to be the caregivers. And it's important to recognize it's okay to not be okay It's not okay to stay not okay. And it is okay to say, I need help.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think as, you know, as a guy, yeah, bottling it up is like something that a lot of guys do. Um, My, my psychiatrist actually gave me this analogy of like a soda bottle and you're just like shaking it. And it's like the life stressors that are like shaking that soda bottle, until it eventually blows up, Mm. right? And that can look like, whether that looks like suicide, whether it looks like violence, whether that looks like whatever it is, like that blow up is just not um, healthy, right? And so I think, you know, as guys, the way we can look at it with that analogy is like the more we talk about these things, it's kind of like loosening the cap a little bit, letting Mm. that gas out so that it doesn't ultimately explode. And I think a lot of guys are actually craving that. Um, I'm in a men's group right now. And um, I remember at the beginning, we were just talking about like, oh, what do we actually want out of this? What do we want to talk about? And all of the guys wanted a safe space to talk about difficult emotions, like anger and fear and sadness and depression. Like guys actually crave that
1: deep inside. It's just having a space for that. Yeah, there's, a, there's an awkwardness. To overcome, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, I mean, it's just guys all over. We're awkward about pretty much everything we have. to. Yep. So. <laughs> it's probably not just guys, just I know yep. my experience. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's interesting, like, about expectations as well. I think sometimes we carry around the expectation that if we're doing life right, we shouldn't encounter any trials, negative emotions, struggles, you know, things like that. Um, and that's, that's not our faith talking. That's just the American dream talking. Like, because actually, like, our, if we're doing our life right with Jesus, it's supposed to be cruciform. Like, it's supposed to be hard. It just reminded me uh, when Paul talks about his experience um, in Second Corinthians 4, and he says, he and the, the people, he's, like, doing these, this mission trip that involves the Corinthians with, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed, carrying about always in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may may be revealed. It's like, wow, like what a rich, like complicated, deep set of experiences yeah. that all sound like a wrestle, you know, like a wrestling match. Um, yeah. So we we also we just have to. I mean, it's part of the failure thing and the shame thing, like if you live a Jesus shaped life, you should be able to say stuff like Paul said there. if you never do chances are you're not living life right. Or you're not being very aware. Like you may, you may be like a blinding yourself to the reality of what's going on or something like that. Right. And then it might bite you in the butt at some point. Cause <laughs> the thing about the soda bo- bottle is it's like every now and again, life pops some Mentos in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just to complicate things.
2: Yeah. It's, Something that if you feel like you've never had any struggles in your life or no one that you know has struggled with this stuff, you're not paying attention Mm -hmm. because I can guarantee in the last couple of years, everyone at some point Mm -hmm. has struggled with their mental health. And I think that's been one of the positives that's come out of the pandemic is people recognizing, oh, hey, mental health is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because if your mental health is good, you don't think about the bad.
1: Yeah, and that's where the soda bottle analogy is so good. Because the last two years, yeah, it may have popped a mento in, like, mm-hmm. but it also um, it shook up ingredients in our life that were already there. And so, if we tell ourselves a narrative of like, "Oh, yeah, I feel whatever. It's really hard, but you know, by next year, I'll be, I'll just magically be better again." It's like, no, you'll maybe just magically be more distracted <laughs> from yourself again. Um, yeah, it really it's just an interesting dynamic. so let's let's do like go really practical, right? Um, let's give people a taste of like, oh, you know, just this is really good, like framing the conversation and entering into this, but let's imagine someone's listening, and they're like, "My neighbor opened up and told me, like they wrestled. Uh, maybe we'll we'll just make up a story like during the pandemic with suicidal ideation, they just like they couldn't cope, couldn't face it, something like that. What are some things that help us, I I guess, like be equipped or like go get equipped, like that twofold, like to, to help us maybe overcome some of the stigma, the barriers, find entry points for like connecting, relating, listening, things like that. Because, you, you know, you've mentioned uh, the crisis line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people might be like, I've no idea what that is. Yeah, so so give us, like, tip the bucket of resources out <laughs> on the table and there's lots of them. And yes. let's, let's highlight a few things, talk about a few things.
2: Yeah, so the crisis line and the text line and the youth line are all resources where you literally save the numbers in your phone and we'll make sure that, The numbers are linked in this podcast that.
1: Yeah, they'll all be, we'll put stuff in the notes.
2: Yeah. um, You can call, text at any time. Someone does not have to be in crisis. They might be dying in the next five minutes to reach out to the crisis line. And I think that's one of the big things that makes it different from calling 911 because 911, you call an emergency. The crisis lines can help, Keep something from being yeah, an emergency. Can be
1: preventative yeah. as well. Yeah. Like so that.
2: a person doesn't have to be in crisis to call the crisis line. You can call, get resources, and they can help walk you through what tools are in your area. Another really great resource is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Vong and I are both volunteers with the organization, and our website is filled with resources.
1: And that will be linked as well. Yes. So check that out.
2: Um, so we have different classes that we can do, whether it's in person or on Zoom. We've been doing them through the pandemic. They've been super amazing. We've gotten great feedback. And really, it's just having those conversations, not being afraid to say, I see that you are struggling. Let me walk with you. And, like, whether those resources are for mental health resources, for counselors, therapists, or helping to find, like, a primary care doctor, just, like, knowing to, instead of saying, hey, you should call your doctor, it's, hey, let's call your doctor together. Because for someone who is stuck in the dark places, cave, hole, whatever analogy works for you, If you have someone in there with you that's able to hold the flashlight, that's able to hold the ladder, you're able to have extra tools to reach out because they're not struggling. Mm -hmm. One thing with that that's super important to recognize is if your mental health isn't in a place where you can help someone, know of people that you can send them to, like Mm -hmm. the crisis line you don't want to make your mental health worse by trying to help make someone else's better. Mm-hmm. And so like AFSP's um, logo is a lifesaver. I think it looks more like a poker chip, but it's a lifesaver. <laughs> and it's a, like when you have depression, anxiety, it's like you're in the water, you're struggling to stay to the surface. Mm. If you're trying to help someone else who's in the water, you're both going to go under. If you have a life raft or a life jacket or the life ring, you're then able to stay afloat. And then you can pull someone else into the boat with you or help someone float because you have a life jacket. So you're floating. So you're no longer fighting to stay above the water and just recognizing that mental health is real. And sometimes, especially for people who live with chronic mental health conditions, their primary caregivers do get tired. It is hard to support someone with mental health struggles. And so, knowing that those resources are out there, that there are support groups, there are support groups for people who have lost a loved one to suicide, there's support groups for kids through the Dougie Center who have lost someone to any kind of death. Um, it's a great resource we have here in the Portland area. And just knowing that there's other things out there helps make it seem not so scary.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the isolation factor yeah, is so huge. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I also really want to emphasize the crisis text line just because like as a millennial, like I hate talking on the phone. And I'm not even millennial. <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good thing I'm not the only one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just being able to like text is just so much easier. Mm. Um, and you know, when I had my episode, like, I did not know about the crisis text line. I think if I actually knew about it, I would have actually reached out. So, just having that 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 text line seven four one seven four one is just so important. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, just like the imagined scenario as well. It's like. I wonder the profound difference we could all make if we were proactive in, like, I will periodically ask how my coworkers, my neighbors, my family members, like, just you a know, check-in. a check in, almost like a net cast over our city, you know, um, it just it, it's it's like it's part of community, a community's maintenance, you know, that sort of thing, um, but. Yeah, it's it's really easy. I mean, it's it, I mean, even the fact that we're, you know, you two have both had suicide as something you've had to wrestle within your story, mm-hmm. and you volunteer, you mm-hmm. know, uh, with this organization, and um, it, there is that sort of effect of like, oh, that's not really my world; that's someone else's world. And it's like, well, you don't know if it's there, like you don't know if it's your neighbor's world or not, and until you ask, mm-hmm. but also. By next Wednesday, it might be your world as well. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what will happen. And so there's a sort of, you know, like God designed us to live in communities. Mm-hmm. Um, but community isn't like individuals who happen to have houses next to each other. Like it has to be more joined up in meaningful ways. And yeah, like asking people how they're doing, checking in with people is a massive part of that.
3: Yeah, and I think taking that even one step further, something that like my friend and I, Um, started doing which is super helpful is even asking like how's your mental health Mm. right it's a little bit deeper than just like how you're doing just saying good it's actually like you kind of have to think about it a little bit and um, be kind of open and honest about your mental health yeah so yeah
1: and even like angela you you said a couple of times that kind of like people observe like in your experience Mm -hmm. people observed and that actually sparked the question Because my experience is um, levels of self-awareness are incredibly low around lots of things, but mental health especially. And so, you know, you don't just, like, walk up to a stranger and do this. But, like, if you've developed a relationship, which top clue there, like develop relationships with people, um, and you say to someone, you know, because if you say to someone, how's your mental health, you know, there's a chance they'll be like, "Uh, yeah, okay, I think. I mean, that's like when, you know, people walk into church, hey, how are you doing? Fine, like, but you're not. It's like almost a reflex, you know, before you even thought about it. But if you say to people, hey, you seem like you haven't been yourself recently. How are you, mm-hmm. how, you know, that's a really different, because someone may not have the self-awareness. Yeah, that's like if we thought that by asking on the way into church, greeting people, how are you doing? Everyone said okay, and then, like, as a, a group of pastors sat down and were like, I guess everyone in our church is okay. we would be like, no, that's not how you read the room, dude. Like, that's not <laughs> going to cut it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, like, building relationship is is so mm-hmm. huge, yeah. Um, and then let's have a little chat about, like, events and things like that. So we're having this conversation on the podcast. Like I said at the beginning, like, we'd like to do something. So Vong's over at Bridgetown. They already do some things. We're, we're trying to figure out, like... Angela's like, oh, we could do some stuff, and we'll probably do more than one thing. Yes, um, but so there's a little like watch this space here because we're, we're not sure we'll do something at Westside or maybe like join together with another church to do something. But um, if this has like sparked something for someone, and they're like, okay, the website's cool, um, but maybe maybe it's just like peaked something in someone's heart where they're like, man, I really want to, like, I want to get involved. Or, um, could be like, they're actually facing something like it's situational. Um, like are, are there, cause they might not be like ready for a support group, but like, can I go to a seminar? Can I go find out a bit more, you know, yes. like dip my toe in the water a bit more?
2: Yeah, absolutely. On our website, it's AFSP.org slash Oregon. And again, it will be linked in the notes. We have an events page, and it has stuff from our community events that we're going to have in the fall. We are back to in-person events this year, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, Um, I don't even have words to explain how excited I am to be back in person for stuff. Um, But we will have seven walks across the state in September and October. So for large community stuff, we will have that. So you can come out and see how many people – have been impacted by suicide. Mm. And if you want to volunteer, we have a volunteer 101 scheduled. You can find the link to that registration on the website. But the most important thing that we have is our education programs and we have a couple of them. Our main one is Talk Saves Lives and we have different modules of it. So like we have one that's for everyone. Anyone can attend, well anyone can attend. Any of them.
1: Yes. But But targeted at. Yes. Yes. Um,
2: So we have. (laughs) This
1: is a special (laughs) one. You have to be like level four before Mm -hmm. you can do this one. Yeah.
2: So we have one that is kind of a more generic talk saves lives. We have one that is for firearm owners. We have one. For the LGBTQ community, we have one for older adults, mm-hmm. um, senior population, because that is one of our more high risk. So essentially, each and, of the- And you
1: have some special stuff for kids as well, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, so we have a super amazing program called Gizmo's Possum Guide to Mental Health. And it's a little teacup puppy dog that teaches kids how to talk about mental health. We also have programs for middle and high schoolers. Um, the main one there is It's Real Teens and Mental Health. And again, it's just having those conversations, getting the conversation started. Links to all of our events will be on our chapter's website and on our chapter's Facebook page. Um, so you can always follow and see when different things are coming yeah. up in the community. Um, yeah, just tons tons of resources and stuff available yeah. there's lots of different ways to get involved
1: so you get the idea yeah. like if you're listening <laughs> and you're like hmm something stirring you're not gonna be far away from something you could take a next step here um, yes. because like that's the way it ought to be listening to one podcast and be like yeah like I do know someone I should ask like go do that that's really cool and also like we I think mentioned a couple of times, these things are skills. Mm -hmm. And so, part of how you do skills is by just practicing them. And, like, you know, you could probably figure some stuff out on the piano if you just sat at it long enough, banging the keys. But then, if you went to someone who already knew a bit more than you, that would really accelerate the development of that skill as well. So, yeah, like, equip yourself so you're ready. Don't bump into the crisis and then be like, oh, I wish I had been equipped.
2: Yeah, another resource is seestheawkward dot org, and a you great can website, you can literally man. just <laughs> Google sees the awkward and it pops up. It's a bunch of YouTube videos that teach you how to have those awkward conversations around mental health. There's one in particular that a guy asks a girl to prom and she says no, and then the awkward man comes up in the middle and says.
1: I'm so, I'm so uh. checking this out. <laughs> this, sounds so, like, this sounds like really useful and also comedy gold. <laughs>
2: yes, it definitely is. But it teaches people how to have those conversations and it takes the heaviness out of it. Yes. So you can learn how to have those conversations. That's not something anyone can go to that website and look at. It's not yeah. a class that you have to sign up or a presentation you have to register for. You can go on it anytime. Um, yeah. But another thing I want to challenge people to do is to text two people and say, hey, how's your mental health? I love that. And if those two people, then text two more people. Who Mm -hmm. text two more people? If everyone is texting, everyone should get a text. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. like really checking in on the people that you care about and especially like checking in on your strong friends because everyone struggles. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. That's a good place to finish because that's like a tangible. <laughs> so if you're listening, you need to like, well, if you're driving, stop driving. And then, but like, yeah, grab your phone, like have a little thing. Well, if you're not sure, have a little pray, like, yeah. And if more than two people come to mind, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So go send some texts and thank you, you two, uh, yeah. for joining us today. Thanks have a good week, everyone. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to AJCCollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at AJCCollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.